again, welcome. Welcome to, to Darby Creek uh, online. Welcome. We, we're happy to have you here uh, chiming in with us today. Today marks the fifth week that we're going to be in the book of Daniel. I am not going to veer away from what Greg's been doing. I'm not going to go off on a tangent. Well, I might, but I'm not going to go off onto a, a tangent uh, and preach on something different. We're going to stay in the book of Daniel and uh, learn from what God is teaching us here. Uh, we're actually, so it's the fifth week. We've been going through chapter by chapter, week by week. We've been going through that way. And so we're going to be in chapter five uh, today. And um, so the, over the last four, four weeks, we've been going through chapters one through four. Uh, I encourage you, if, you um, if you're able to, to find the uh, messages, if you haven't heard them yet, uh, find the messages that, uh, that Greg has preached on these last four chapters because it'll provide some of the context for what I'm about to uh, present to you today. Um, there are uh, quite a bit of challenges, quite many challenges that Greg has given to us uh, through those. Are you guys still able to hear me? I, I know my, I'm having some issues here with this. Let me get it situated. All right. Greg has given us many challenges uh, when it comes to what we've been learning in the book of Daniel here. And chapter 5 is no different. We're going to see that again today. Um, and in fact, uh, studying the book of Daniel these last several weeks, for me at least, has been quite fruitful. Uh, it's, it, I've learned so much from just diving in week by week uh, through the, uh, in the book of Daniel here. And it's been, I, I've been convicted quite a bit. And um, I, it's been, the Lord has been revealing uh, areas of pride in my life that I didn't even know exist, I didn't even know could be proud. If Jessica looked at you, she'd say, yeah, uh, this is great. This is good, um, but uh, but seriously, it, it has been. It's been it's been convicting me and showing me areas of pride that I didn't know were even there, were real, and um, and that's been really good. And I hope that it's been the same for you. Hope it's been uh, fruitful and convicting for you. And uh, so, without further ado, we're going to uh, dive right into chapter five. So, uh, as Greg has been mentioning, well, okay, that's the title of the chapter, chap uh, or the title of the message today is the writing on the wall. We'll get to that here in a minute. Um, each chapter that Greg has been preaching on over the last several weeks has been an excellent reminder of the, uh, of the overall theme and message we see resounding throughout the book of, of Daniel. And that is, contrary to appearances, God is in control and he calls his people to live faithfully where he has put them. As we move on in chapter 5, you'll see this again rings true, if not more so in this chapter and in the others. So as, as I mentioned, there have been several challenges that Greg has been uh, providing to us. Well, actually, God, through his word, has been giving us. And chapter 5 is no different. But I do want to warn you, uh, chapter 5 is a bit different than the, than the previous chapters. Okay, Chapter 5 is where I consider the rubber meets the road. Um, now, the rubber should have met the road earlier <laughs> if you didn't get it in verses in chapters 1 through 4. But if you didn't get it there, I hope you get it now. Because this is where this is where it, it, it becomes a reality. Where you can do nothing other than fully recognize that God is truly in control. Okay? And that he is sovereign. And not just sovereign over our circumstances, but sovereign over my individual life, my very breath, 
He has control over how many breaths I take, how many heartbeats I have. And that's his to, to give me or his to take. And that's where that's what I'm saying. It, it, the rubber really come, meets the road. It comes down to it. So I want to encourage, encourage you, though, that as we go through this passage today, please do your best to not miss what I'm about to say or anything that I'm going to say. Because if you, can t- if you take something out of context, you're going to misunderstand. You're going to hear something and then think something about God that's not true. Okay, so I want to encourage you to hear it all. If you need to stand up, please stand up. If you're online and, need, and you need some coffee, go get some coffee. Uh, it's a, we're going we're gonna to get into some fun here today. But I want you to be focused and, and, and hear what, not because of what I'm saying, not because of this is Nick Higgins preaching, but, but this is because of what God has revealed to us today and has, has quite frankly, laid on my heart uh, to, to give to you guys today and to, and to give to me. Um, as I've said earlier, he has been, he, uh, this has been very convicting for me, and this chapter is, is no different. Uh, he has torn me apart, and so I'm going to share that with you today. Um, so let's get started. All right, we're going to start in Daniel chapter 5. If you haven't already made your way there, please get there now. Open up your Bibles, your devices. Uh, I want you to read along with me and see the Word of God as, as, we're, as we're reading it and as I'm speaking it. Okay, so as we begin reading in chapter 5 here, the very first words, right, we're immediately introduced to a new king in Babylon, King Belshazzar. My first question is, what what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Where'd he go? The fact is, according to Babylonian record, the events in this chapter, based on what we're going to see at the very end of the chapter, The events in this chapter take place in 539 B.C. 539 B.C. And Nebuchadnezzar died in 563 B.C. So as we know, the the time, uh, I guess, decreases in the the B.C. era and then increases in the A.D. era. So so Nebuchadnezzar has died before we get to this passage at some point. We don't know exactly when. Well, other than we know he died in 563. So we don't know, we do know, I'm getting ahead of myself. The events in this chapter take place in 539, and we have Nebuchadnezzar dying in 563. So Belshazzar, though, as we're going to find out, is quite an interesting character. He's kind of an interesting person, to say the least. So I want us to take some time here today to get to know him. And we'll start reading verses 1 through 4 in chapter 5. The word says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords His wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So according to Babylonian sources, Belshazzar was placed in charge of affairs at Babylon. uh, While his father, Nabonidus, the last king of Babylon, as as we'll hear later, he was the last king, spent extensive periods of time at Tema in Arabia. So essentially, and correctly identified by the author here, Belshazzar 
is the king. He's the standing king of Babylon. The contrast between Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar, though, could not be starker, as we see here, and as we're going to see unfold throughout the rest of this chapter. What is the first thing we see when we're introduced to Belshazzar? He's throwing a party. He's a partier, and not just any partier. He's a, he's a good partier, I would say. I mean, goodness sake, how many of you know a thousand people? and have multiple wives and concubines. He's throwing a pretty big party here. Now, what a show-off, right? And, and that's why he's doing it, to be honest. He is there to show off his reign, his kingdom, and look at me. Look how powerful I am. I'm bringing in the goblets that we stole from Judah. That, well, my daddy did. My grandpa did. I didn't. But hey, we did it. We're going to take them. Who are you, God? I bet you that's what's going through his mind. Who are you? We're going to worship my idols, our idols here, because we were the one that overtook Judah. We were the ones. Isn't that the message that, uh, isn't that the, the theme that Nebuchadnezzar had and what humbled him? We're going to see it's going to, it's going to humble Belshazzar here too. So, okay, so we, the first thing we see about Belshazzar is that he's a, he's a party. First thing we see. What's the first thing we see when Nebuchadnezzar is introduced to him? He's destroying Judah. He's conquer. He's a conqueror. In fact, we have four entire chapters in this book of Daniel devoted to King Nebuchadnezzar. There's only one devoted to Belshazzar. See the difference? Nebuchadnezzar was renowned for his accomplishments and his power. He was a conqueror and a plunderer. We saw that when he conquered Judah. Not only that, he, was, he expanded the empire. He was, the Babylon empire was massive. He made great statues and he built the wonders of royal Babylon. If you recall from Greg's message last week, Nebuchadnezzar was the one responsible for the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. He was responsible for that. Well, we know God was truly responsible, but right, Nebuchadnezzar was the one that did all these things. And the only thing we know about Belshazzar is that he's pretty good throwing a party. To be fair, though, the Babylons were pretty well known for throwing parties. They were, they were very well known for their lavish feasts and, uh, and elaborate parties. And, to, and they should be because they had the prosperity. God had given it to them. That's what, they, that's what God had chosen to do uh, by giving uh, Judah over to, these, uh, to this kingdom, to this empire. And I think it's okay to enjoy what God has given you. But the point behind the way they were doing it and the way behind Belshazzar was doing it was completely ignoring that. Completely not acknowledging that. It was all about me, all about us, all about the kingdom. And as we see here, he took it a step too far. In verse 2, we see that Belshazzar got drunk with the wine and commanded that the plunder from Jerusalem, the items that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, be brought so that he and his guests could drink from them. And as we see in verse 4, not only did they drink from these vessels, but they worshipped their own gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. 
Now let's take a step back from Scripture here for just a moment. Look at what these first four verses tells us about Belshazzar. One of the things that I notice through reading this is that Belshazzar seems to be the type of guy who enjoys basking in prosperity and luxury. And to boil it down, he's spoiled rotten. Now, I, I like spoiling my kids. I mean, I have two kids of my own, and I like spoiling them. I have no problem with that. But this is a different kind of spoiled, right? He is spoiled rotten. And he's, and he, like I said earlier, he's bringing these people in to show just how prosperous he is and how much luxury this, this uh, kingdom has and, and bringing in the, the wine and, and, and using these uh, the vessels that belongs to God. In this case, though, we are bluntly informed that this prosperity is not a result of his accomplishments, not a result of his own doing. It's that of his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. Right? The author reminds us of that. And not only is he the type of guy who enjoys basking in prosperity, he's the type of guy who enjoys basking in prosperity that's not of his own doing, not of his own hands. And even worse, he goes about doing it in such a way that where he is elevated and the others that have, are responsible for it, are not. Completely ignored. Now to top it all off, I'm going to go as far as to say he goes on to mock God. He is mocking the Lord in this, in his what he's doing here. And as we'll find out, the reason why I think he is mocking God is because he knows exactly who God is, as Daniel reveals to us later. So he goes on to mock the Lord by worshiping his pagan gods while using the vessels from the temple. He knows exactly what he's doing. In fact, I'd say he's going as far as putting God to the test. What are you going to do? I've got your vessels. I'm the one. We're the ones that took them. What are you going to do? I'm going to worship my God. Hmm. God wasted no time to respond, as we see in the next verse. This is where, as a believer, I go, yeah, God, all right, this is awesome. Thank you, Lord. But we're going to find out later. We're a, little bit, we're a little bit more like Belshazzar than we'd like to admit. Okay, so verse 5 says, Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and shall have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed. And this is my favorite. The Lord looked at God. King, what, what are you doing? You're the one supposed to lead us. <laughs> Uh-oh. Right, I get it. I can't, can't figure it out. Okay, at this point in time, according to God's perfect plan, according to his perfect plan, his will, it's obvious that he decided to intervene in the affairs of men. Belshazzar's response, of course, does not disappoint. To give you a vivid picture of how he responded, verse 6 says that his color changed. So he, the, his, the, basically, 
The color left his face. He became pale. The blood is gone, right? He's freaking out. His alarms, I'm sorry, his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Imagine that, knees knocking together. I'm not going to do it because that'll be dangerous. But, um, In fact, the Aramaic here for limbs gave way, his limbs gave way, is literally translated as this, and I'm not making this up, it's literally translated as the knots of his joints were loosened, which may mean that he lost control of his bodily functions. If you haven't figured it out yet, to put it simply, he needed a change of pants. Now, do we blame him? I don't think I would. I think I would have responded in the same way if I saw a hand just appear out of nowhere and start writing on the wall. I would have lost my ability to hold, hold it in too. Now, if you've been reading along in the last four chapters of Daniel, you can almost predict what, what Belshazzar is going to do. And what I mean by that is he pulls in. What does he do? He doesn't, he doesn't um, well, he knows what to do, but what he does is he pulls in all of his magicians and his enchanters and, his, and the Chaldeans, the, the wise people. It seems to me that based on the four chapters, uh, the first four chapters in Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar, and then here with Belshazzar, uh, these kings are so infatuated with uh, wisdom, and not just any wisdom, but transcend, uh, transcendent wisdom, if that makes sense. They're, they're looking for a higher, higher wisdom, the wisdom of the gods, and they rely on these magicians and these enchanters and, and Chaldeans to give them that. Um, they're, they're so in, infatuated by it. And so what does Belshazzar do? Well, he calls in his magicians and his enchanters and astrologers to tell them what this oracle means, what this writing means. And of course, they did not interpret the writing, and the king once again nearly passes out. Right? We see the color leave his face again, and he and then, of course, the lords are like, okay, we're in trouble now because if the king doesn't know what to do, we don't know what to do. We, we, we need the king. Enter the queen. Enter the queen to save the day, or at least point Belshazzar in the right direction. Okay. So verse 10, we'll start with uh, here in chapter 5. We see the queen entering the scene. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lord, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So, in this ancient cultural context, having the queen come in and give advice to the king, a woman come in and give advice to the king, would have been humiliating. Completely embarrassing. Now, guys who are married... We know that we need to listen to our wives when they say something to us, okay, when they give us advice. That is good advice. Um, but this is interesting, okay. Not just any, not, the queen is not who we think she is. So let's make something clear here. Based on the text in verse 3, okay, 
this queen is almost certainly not the wife of Belshazzar. Now, wait a minute. What do you mean here? Remember, Belshazzar is standing in as king for his father, Nabonidus. And who this guy is in Arabia. This woman, who is identified as the queen, is almost certainly Belshazzar's mother. His mommy came in to tell him what to do. Whew, that's embarrassing. Throwing a party, got all of his friends over, all of his buddies, and mom has to come in to tell me what to do. Just embarrassing. And now to make matters even worse, the tone she uses here implies that Belshazzar would have known about Daniel. Hear how she said he was the one who was placed above the magicians and the enchanters and the Chaldeans. She was reminding him of that. He was, so he had that position, yet Belshazzar completely ignored it. And so now he, the only option is to call in Daniel. I also like how she refers to Belshazzar. The way she, the way she says it is almost as if like, Belshazzar, only you could be more like Nebuchadnezzar, your father, the king. Only you could be more like him. Keep that in mind. All right, so we're going to move on to verses 13 through 16 here. So then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, now listen to the way he says this. The king answered and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard that you have the spirit of the God, or, I'm sorry, I have heard that from you that the spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So we see Belshazzar's tone here, Daniel. Notice the first thing he says, you're Daniel. You're that Daniel. And he doesn't say, oh, yeah, you're the Daniel, the one that, 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 that my grandpa used to, to answer the questions. He says, you're one of the exiles from Judah. Putting Daniel in his place. And not only does he put Daniel in his place, he's revealing a skepticism of what Daniel has to offer. Right? He says later on, we see it in verse 16, I have heard that you can give me its interpretation. I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Not, well, I, I know that you can do this. I have heard that you can do this. So prove it to me. Go ahead and prove it to him, you will. We see that. Moving on to verse 17. I love Daniel's answer to the king here. Rather than saying, O king, live forever, or O king, may it never be, he goes on and he says, let your gifts be for yourself. Don't even give them to me. You're, you're going to because what I'm about to tell you, you're going to realize is true. But let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Now listen to this. He goes on to lecture the king here, right in front of everybody, in the midst of the party. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. 
Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was like that, or I'm sorry, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or know. But the God whose hand The God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Whoa. So before Daniel could even go on, we haven't even gotten to the writing yet, right? Before we could get there, he's got to put it in context. He's got to give Belshazzar the reason for why there's even writing on the wall in the first place. So if we go back to verses 18 through 19, we see that God reminds, and I say remind on purpose, he reminds Belshazzar who put Nebuchadnezzar, his dad, in control, or his father in control, right? And it was God. He's reminded of that. Notice how in those verses, verses 18 and 19, as he said in the stage, never once does he say that God put Belshazzar. God never gave Belshazzar the kingdom. Even though he had it, doesn't doesn't mention it here. The reason behind the kingdom, the reason behind Nebuchadnezzar was because of God. Now as we read on in verses 20, beyond that, we see that even though God gave Nebuchadnezzar this power and this authority over all things, this authority to, any, any word that comes out of his mouth, it's done. Whatever Nebuchadnezzar says, it's going to happen. That's basically what Daniel says here. Even though God gave Nebuchadnezzar uh, this power, he became proud. He attributed all of this power, all of this authority to himself. We saw that uh, in chapter 4 last week. And if you weren't here last week, listen to the podcast. Listen to the recording. God, God humbled Nebuchadnezzar in that moment. And the way he did that was by shoving him off to the oxen. He ate grass like a cow, like a wild animal. He started looking like a wild animal. And God humbled him that way. Not only was it until he raised his eyes to heaven and said, okay, you're it. God's in control. I am not. I am not the king. You are, Lord. Not until then was Nebuchadnezzar restored. Notice in Daniel's statement to Belshazzar in verse 22, okay, going down to verse 22, Daniel implies that Belshazzar knew exactly what Daniel was talking about. Okay, what's the words here? Belshazzar, uh, you his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew, and everyone say this word, all, all this, 
right? Even though you knew all this, meaning even to the point of God was in control. Belshazzar knew. Knowing this, he could have chosen to humble himself. He could have chosen to fall under the authority of God. But rather, what did he do? He denied it. He knew the truth. Even though knowing the truth, he denied it. And in denying it, Daniel explains that Belshazzar lifted himself up above God. He placed himself up. What are you going to do, God? I'm drinking out of your vessels. What are you going to do? We took your kingdom. You're not God. And in his mind, he knew better than God, and he placed himself higher than God. What does God do to those who place themselves higher than him in their minds? Proverbs 3.34 reminds us, and then James and Peter both refer to it in James 4.6 and 1 Peter 5.5. 5, God opposes the proud. You don't want to be on that side. Is God opposing you. And that's where Belshazzar was. All right, so finally, we can get into what does the writing say? We don't even know what it says yet. What does the writing say? And what does it mean? Starting with verse 25. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mini, mini, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mini, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Okay, so if they are read exactly as they're written, as nouns, which is how they are, how they are written here, these words form a sequence of weights in decreasing order, like monetary weights decreasing in order. Okay, so you have the largest one is, the, is mini, and the smallest there is, um, is parson. But if they were read as verbs with a different vocalization of the Aramaic letters, the sequence becomes actually a series of verbs here. And it's written up there for you on the screen. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. And Daniel's interpretation of this writing is a humbling reality of God's sovereignty in all circumstances. Even over your very life. Even over Belshazzar's very life. Numbered. God had numbered the days of his kingdom and brought it to an end. Doesn't God number the days of our lives? He knows when it began and he knows when it's going to end. He already had that determined from eternity past. It's a humbling reality, but it's true. He knows when it's going to come to an end. Wade. Belshazzar had been weighed in the balances and found wanting. All of his successes, all of his achievements, anything that he could have done on his own was worthless. Completely worthless. So worthless, in fact, that God, as we're going to see later on in, in, uh, in verses 31, 32, or sorry, 30 and 31, uh, just completely blows it, blows it away. Blows Belshazzar and the entire empire, the entire empire of Babylon. And then divided. We see kind of a, almost an eerie foreshadowing of the, 
of the, of the image that was given to Nebuchadnezzar in his dream in Daniel 2. Right? The kingdom's going to be divided. It's going to be conquered and divided and blown away. After Daniel reveals the reality of what is to come, what is Belshazzar's response? The next verse there, 29. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him, that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Worthless. Completely worthless. Because of what happens next. He simply gave Daniel the reward. Doesn't say anything other than do it. Give Daniel the reward. There's no indication of sorrow. Right? There's no indication of repentance. We don't even know if he really agreed with what Daniel said or believed it. He didn't deny it, but he, we don't know for sure. He just, part of me wonders, oh, yeah, I guess he's, he's right, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not going to be sorry for it. You know, I just wonder if that's something that was going through his mind. But none of that mattered, because as we see in the next verse, Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Um, 62 years old. He was killed, and the entire Babylonian Empire was gone. The sequence of decay that the vision of the mighty image in Daniel 2 anticipated for world history, or all of history, found a foreshadowing with the history of Babylon here, this Babylonian empire. Just like the sequence of weights in the writing on the wall, the once mighty kingdom was obliterated and ultimately blown away by the judgment of God. And it's almost as if verse 30 is written just so very matter-of-factly. He died. All right, so while it's, sometimes it's fun to pick on a Belshazzar and give him a hard time here, uh, I think we have to own up to the fact that, and my, I myself included, we have to own up to the fact that we're a lot more like Belshazzar than we'd like to admit. One of the things that we, uh, I think we can get caught up in, and my, like I said, myself included, is this... Um, mindset or idea of living in prosperity or living the, the good life, living um, in luxury. And it can be various levels of that, but you're still enjoying that prosperity. And I think it's okay to enjoy it in the right context. Enjoy it knowing that it's something that God has provided. Rather than basking in what you think are your successes, me coming home from work and saying, look what I've done. Rather than saying, God, look what you've done. You put me here. You gave me the mind that I have. Thank you, Lord. Rather, it's easy to forget or not even acknowledge the one who truly provides for us in the first place. I'm reminded um, every once in a while, uh, before we eat for dinner, Kalia, my oldest daughter, will look to me, and if I've forgotten to pray, because we, we've established this routine where we uh, pray before every meal. It's something I want to do to be able to pray to, to just as a simple way to show that we are reminding ourselves that God has provided the food for us that we're eating right now. Not me, 
not Jess. It's God has given us that, given us the food. Um, and yeah, I've, I've done some work, but I can only do the work because he's given me, given me the ability to do it. Right? So it all goes back to him. So anyway, every, every meal, every dinner, we sit down and we thank the Lord for our food. Because, it, again, it's a reminder uh, to us and for my kids to, to know that that's where it's coming from. And sometimes I'll forget. I'll forget to, to do that because I'm in a rush or I'm tired or something. And Kalia will look at me and go, pray. Pray. Yes, dear. <laughs> we sure will. You are absolutely right. And we'll stop and, and we'll pray. But it, it's just something just as simple as that. It's just a small mind change as we remember and recall who's responsible for the prosperity that we have. It's nothing that we can muster up or build up. And this story that we're seeing here also in, in chapter 5, it reminds us that we're not to be awed or impressed by earthly, earthly wisdom or earthly wealth or power. Right? So, we, so, so many times we can look at a, at a, great, at a leader or someone who has, seemingly has a lot of money and, and, and has a lot of power. They must be doing something right. They must be, what they're doing must be good, when in reality, it could be farther from the truth. Okay, we, sometimes we just focus on that, too much, and partially because it's right there in front of us. It's easy to see. It's, 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 it's quick and easy. Idol worship. So we don't have, man, we don't have little idols of, of, of uh, people or, or animals or things like that, but we can quickly find ourselves worshiping things like wealth or prosperity, um, using them as our goal and as our focus, or even freedom and democracy. We can worship those wrongfully rather than re remembering who is the one who gave us those things. And also our successes. We can worship our achievements. And we can be found boasting in our own assets and our lifestyles, looking at someone and saying, oh, look, look, I, I must have it pretty well together, right? Look, look at that person. Wrong. Everything apart from God, apart from God, is empty and worthless. Apart from Him. Right? They are weighed and found wanting. All of these things that we idolize, really, they're all great blessings. Right? They're things that actually, that God has provided. We just tend to worship them rather than Him. And so when we do that, we actually make the, these created things the center of our, our worship and forget our creator. And we're just as foolish and blind as Belshazzar was. Now one other question I want to ask is, do we put God to the test? Do we mock him? Do we know full well the truth and yet choose to ignore it? Sometimes I'd like to ignore the truth that I don't have control over when I'm going to die. God does. That's humbling, if you just think about it for a minute. I have no idea when that's going to happen. And we get into that in the, in the last section here. But do we mock him? If we, uh, everyone, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Romans chapter 1. Humanity so often, in fact, 
more often than not, will actively suppress the truth. It's just in our nature. We want to ignore it, right? We, we will actively suppress the truth about God that bombards us from every angle. Romans 1, verse 18, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, they rather close their minds to what's real, close their eyes to it, and ignore it. Almost with your, like a little kid with the, ear, with the hands in their mouth going, la, 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 la. It's not real. It is. We know the truth and still deny it. Like Belshazzar did. Now, I, we move on to the last thing here. I'm going to close with this. God's sovereign mercy. As Romans 1 puts it, as we see here, based on these things, the wrath of God is revealed. We deserve to be destroyed by the wrath of God. Yet God continues to show us His mercy through His incredible patience. Every day of your life is an extension of God's patience. Isn't that incredible? He gives us that. While his patience is long-suffering, meaning it, it, it lasts, it's not going to be eternal. There is going to come an end. And we should take the opportunity to learn from both chapter 4 and chapter 5 here in Daniel that we need to humble ourselves to the truth and come under the wonderful authority of God. Okay, and I say that not lightly. It is wonderful. His authority is wonderful. And this is where the rubber meets the road. So we notice in, in, in chapters 1 through 4, God gives Nebuchadnezzar opportunity after opportunity. Right? He, he reveals himself to Nebuchadnezzar multiple times. The reality is Belshazzar only got one shot. He only had one chance. God had numbered his days. He had decided ultimately how long he was going to have and how many opportunities he was going to get. Nebuchadnezzar eventually came to the understanding and bowed his knee before Almighty God. And Belshazzar didn't live long enough to find out, to figure it out. Romans 9.15 says, For he says to Moses, Paul says, speaking of God, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. That's a tough word to hear. 
And my reaction to this every once in a while is when I read that, I go, well, that's not fair. That's, that's, that's an injustice. Now, what have I done? I have decided, and I know better than God, and I have placed myself above him by saying that. Let me tell you something that's unfair. If you, if you want to think about something that's unfair, if you think that this is unfair, let me tell you about something that's unfair. For those of you that are in the room, you can see the cross over there. Online, picture the cross. Picture the cross. You think that this is unfair? That cross, the judgment that Jesus bore for us, I would argue was unfair. But he did it. God left his perfect throne, his perfect communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he came down as Jesus Christ, a man. And he, he made that decision to come down into this filthy world. Perfect, cre- perfect heaven, perfect throne, filthy world. And he decided to walk among, among us. And he hung out the worst of the worst. And he taught us about who he was in a way that we would understand. Person to person, a relationship. And not only did he do that, he lived perfectly. But he bore our sin, the shame that we deserve, and the wrath of God. Sometimes I don't think we really fully understand what the wrath of God is. It's complete separation from him. We don't know what that feels like. We've never experienced that. Heaven forbid we do. If you hear what I'm saying today and you respond to it, you won't. Jesus went through that. Talk about unfair. He decided to do that for us so that we could have a relationship with him and so that we could live eternally with him. Now, I want to encourage you that even though God's word is clear in Romans 9, not only is God revealed in creation, as we read earlier in Romans 1, Paul goes on to write in Romans chapter 10, Verse 17, that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God, through the word of Christ. Let me encourage you. It is no coincidence that you're hearing this message today. With Daniel 5 as the context, you have an opportunity. And it's the same opportunity that Belshazzar had at one point. You've been shown the truth and you will Make a decision today. You will decide you agree with it and choose to humble yourself before Jesus Christ or you will choose to delay. And the same is true for believers and people who are, those of you who are still not sure about what you think about Jesus. You will decide whether you agree with it and choose to humble yourself or you will choose to continue to delay. Maybe you're still unsure. Maybe you don't trust that what I'm telling you today is the truth. If that's the case, you better start researching and you better start asking questions to figure it out for yourself because you owe it to yourself to know the truth, to find out what is true. But do yourself a favor and seek out the truth unbiasedly. Don't go in with a preconceived notion. 
Figure it out for what it really is. And while you're doing that, don't be afraid to pray. Don't be afraid to pray to God. Even if you don't quite yet believe, ask him to reveal himself to you in your research, in your questioning. One thing is certain, our days are numbered. We don't know when it's going to be over. I could be driving to work, heaven forbid, I could be driving to work someday and not come home because of an accident or something. Just like that, because God decides. It's his choice. What am I doing with my life right now? Who am I living for? What are you doing with your life? And who are you living for? Do not go to your grave turning your eyes from what has already been revealed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for uh, this message that you've given us in Daniel. Father, you've given us an opportunity. You've shown us how you dealt with Nebuchadnezzar. And you've also revealed to us how you dealt with Belshazzar. And while it may appear different, Father, you are, you are sovereign and you are over all things. You are in control. And Lord, uh, we know that someday you are going to come back. And it's going to be your choice of when you do. And your kingdom is going to come. And we recognize that. Father, I pray that that would be the, that that would be the belief and the realization of everyone here today. That we would bow our knee to you now. And not bow And we all will bow. As the word does say, everyone will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Allow allow us that opportunity and that decision today. Allow each one here to have that opportunity and to see that today before they die. Lord, I just thank you for those who are here with us today. Father, I just pray for those who are not here with us today, those that are at home, either watching online or will listen to this later Uh, I just pray for their health and their safety, especially in this time. I also want to lift up those who who have family members that are not doing well. Uh, I just pray for your continued protection over their lives and that you would work through those who are here today to continue to spread your word and to do it unashamedly, especially in the culture and the time that we live. Father, you're in control and your kingdom will come and your kingdom will last forever. And we thank you for that. You have no